welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse, actually I want to read verse 16, but focus on verse 17 and 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. You may have seen a sign on some of the interstates, depending on what part of the country you're in, that says, speed controlled by aircraft. Sometimes you have some helicopters or some airplanes, and they've got those radar guns, and they are checking your speed. Well, on one particular case, a helicopter was a policeman that spotted a car speeding down the interstate, and he radioed to the patrolman in the car down on the interstate, and of course, he stopped him, was writing him a ticket for speeding, and the man in the car asked the patrolman, he said, how did you know I was speeding? And he didn't say a word. He just pointed upward like this. (laughs) And the man said, do you mean to tell me that God's turned against me too? In your insurance policy, there are certain clauses that say what they will and won't cover, especially on your homeowners. One of those clauses has the phrase act of God in it. God gets a bad rap a lot of times. Now, I did find an amusing story. I don't mean to sound critical, but it was an atheist who had an old tree in his backyard, and during a storm, the tree fell on his neighbor's house. And the atheist called his insurance company to see if he was covered. And this particular insurance agent knew of this man and his lack of belief in God. And he was a, and the insurance salesman was a Christian. And so he, he actually responded to the man's with this words. He said, if your tree fell over because it was dead, we cannot cover the expense. You will have to pay the repairs on your neighbor's home yourself. However, if the tree fell because of an act of God, your insurance will cover it. So which one do you consider it to be? (laughs) You know, some people have an attitude about God that every time something bad happens, they blame God for it. And James, up until this point, had been talking about testing and trials and temptation. And in it, he even said, don't even feel like when you're tempted that God might even be indirectly involved because God will not tempt you to sin. He will not tempt you to violate his word or go against him. And so he says all of that. And then he says, and don't be deceived. Don't believe for a moment that it's God's fault. And then he goes, turns right around and flips that coin and says, but I'm going to tell you how good God is. And you need to remember this about the Lord because it seems like God is the one that gets all the blame for all the evil that's in the world. 
Well, I want to remind you the reason there's evil and curse in the world is because we're the ones that sinned. Every day I get a little, it's called a think spot. And it comes from Derek Johnson, who is in his 80s now, but he was very involved in the Disney organization, but he was the Christian. He was the Christian in the organization. And anytime there was a, a, um, a Christian emphasis, he got to lead it, like choirs and things of that nature at Christmas and so forth. Great guy. We've actually had him here several years ago for that um, jump start. But he, th- he sends out this little think spot every day, and it's all real clever stuff. I, I love it. It's right up my alley. It's right up my uh, idea of, of humor. But today, of all times, this morning, it comes up real early in the morning, and I, and I looked on it, and here's what it said. I get frustrated when I clean up my house, get everything in order, and then my kids come in, and in two minutes' time, they've messed up the whole place. And then it said, and God said, I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) Because we're the ones that messed up creation. We're the ones that cursed it. We're the reason that creation groans to be redeemed, as was sung just a moment ago. But I want you to understand that all good that you have in your life, everything good in your life came from God. So with that in mind, let's talk about God is so good for just a second. James mentions God's character. It's a gracious character. I've already mentioned to you that in verses 13 to 16, he talks about temptation and don't be deceived into thinking that God causes that. And then he goes on to say every good gift and so forth is from God. And that's what I want us to focus on. And the first thing you're going to notice about God's gracious character is that he is unselfish. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Now, I want us to focus on these gifts for just a minute. I start with the scope of God's gift. Every What a big word that means every. Every speaks of the scope. It means everything with God as its source is good. And God is not only involved in the evil. He's not involved in the evil that we do when we're tempted. He's the only source of good that's in our lives. You can't blame God for what you're doing. God won't ever tempt you to violate his word. He won't ever tempt you to go against what he has said. The gifts of God are good because they never foster evil. They never tempt us to sin. The gifts of God are perfect because they're the fulfillment of his will for his people. So the scope of God's gift is that every, what part of every do you not understand? Every gift, every good thing in your life is because of God. God is so good. Now, the status of God's gifts is worth noticing because on the surface, it appears that we're speaking generally of good gifts and perfect gifts, and both of those would be desirable, but there's actually a distinction here in these words, and the scope of these gifts have some other characteristics. First of all, it speaks of God's motive. Every good gift. Now, that phrase speaks of the act of giving. In other words, it's basically saying it's the way God gives to you. You know, the value of a gift 
can be diminished if it's given with the wrong attitude. Have you ever had to give somebody something you didn't really want to do anything for? You, you know, or maybe somebody's given you something and said, well, you know, I was going to lose it anyway, so I thought I'd give it to you. It's amazing how many people give to God that way. Well, I'm going to lose it anyway. I'll give you. That's what they were doing in Malachi's day. They were giving all the dead, all the sick stuff because they knew it was going to die anyway. But the motive behind the gift can make it even more valuable or it can diminish its value. But what you need to understand that the word dosis here, there's two words for gift. The word dosis refers to the act of giving, refers to the motive. There's no ulterior motive with God's giving. He's giving because he's a giving God. He's unselfish. His motive is to give to you. And we have, we have levels of good, good, better, or best. You know, you see that all the time now. You, you want to buy the good one, you want to buy the better one, you want to buy the best. There's no levels with God's goodness. You get all of it. All of it at once from heaven. His goodness and cannot be improved upon. And if you've received anything from the Lord, you've received the best that God can offer. God is giving. His motive is that he just, it's, 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 it's pure. No ulterior motive here. No strings attached. Notice the measure of his gift. Perfect gift. Now, this speaks of the result of the giving, the act of giving. It's the gift itself. And he reveals that the gifts that we have from God are perfect. They're finished. They're complete, wanting nothing God's gifts have purpose, intended goals. They accomplish maturity in us. Perfect means there's no semblance of evil in it. God's gifts have nothing in them to cause us grief. I don't know who wrote this little poem, but it says this, Dear God, I'm writing to say I'm sorry for being angry yesterday when you seemed to ignore my prayer and things didn't go my way. First, my car broke down. I was very late for work, but I... Missed that terrible accident. Was that your handiwork? I found a house I loved, but others got there first. I was angry, then relieved when I heard the pipes had burst. Yesterday, I found the perfect dress, but the color was too pale. Today, I found that same dress in red. Would you believe it? It was on sale. I know you're watching over me, and I'm feeling truly blessed, for no matter what I pray for, you always know what's best. See, God's perfect. His work is perfect. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. His way is perfect. Psalm 18, 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. His will is perfect, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. His word is perfect, Psalm 19, 7. The, war, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. All of God's ways are perfect because he's perfect. But also notice the manner of his gifts. They come down. Now, I've given you some Greek 
lessons before, and I'm not trying to impress you because I'm not a Greek scholar. But I do know this, that the tenses of the verbs are very, very important in the Greek language. The Greek language was one of the most expressive languages ever written. And, and that's why the New Testament was originally written in Greek, because the tenses of the verb, we hold, we, we hold on to doctrine because of them. And here is a present tense participle, a present participle. Present tense always means continuous action. It's going to keep on happening, on and on and on and on. You don't ever see being saved in continuous action because you're saved once. So you don't keep getting saved over and over. But here, he's saying it comes down, it keeps on coming down over and over and over and over and over. Perpetual giving. God never sends his blessings. He, he never ceases to send his blessings our way. They keep on coming. I'm going to tell you all right now, this is an easy sermon to say amen to every now and then. You can't be more tired than I am. And I still get excited when I talk about this because even when we are unaware or unappreciative, God continues to bless us with goodness. He does not give it occasionally. He gives it constantly. Even when we don't see his gifts, he's still sending them. You, you are whining and griping about the cost of food. I understand it. I don't I agree with you. But you're still eating, aren't you? And you found a way to pay for it. You have shelter. You have clothing. You had the strength to come or be drugged here this morning by somebody. There are people watching online, they'll be watching on television, that wish they could be in this room. But they didn't have the health or the strength to get here. You have been given soundness of mind most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time we're in our right mind. You've been given God's tender mercies that are new every day. We talk about the nine lepers that, you know, the 10 lepers in Luke that Jesus healed and nine of them kept running and the other one came back and thanked him and you know, we find it easy to criticize the nine lepers, and yet every single day, God's continuous, perfect, and goodness, their gifts are given to us, whether we acknowledge it or not. I mean, you're breathing right now because God allows you to stay alive here on this earth. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And aren't you glad that God doesn't send a bill? <laughs> Notice where they come from. They come from above. 
They come from heaven. They come from above. You are blessed daily with so much and so many things that you don't even think about. A group of geography students were studying the seven wonders of the world. And at the end of that section, the students were asked to list what they considered to be the seven wonders of the modern world. And there were a lot of different answers and some disagreement, but the following got the most votes. Egypt's Great Pyramids, Taj Mahal, Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, China's Great Wall. And as the teacher was gathering up the papers, she noticed one little girl who's pretty shy off to herself having trouble with her list. And she asked the little girl, are you having trouble? And she said, yeah, I, I can't quite make up my mind because there's so many. And the teacher said, well, why don't you tell us what you have and maybe we can help? And she got a little hesitant. She said, no, y'all will just laugh. She said, no, we won't. What is it? She said, I think the seven wonders of the world are to touch and to taste and to see and to hear. And, and she hesitated a little bit, and then she said, to run, to laugh, and to love. And so many times we look at the exploits of man, and we think this is a wonder of the world, and yet we run right on past our own bodies where the psalmist said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are. May you be reminded of those things today. You see, God has a gracious character, but he's also, and he's unselfish, and he's also unchanging. In, in verse 17, it says, they come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, the Father of lights was an ancient Jewish title for God, you can go back to Genesis 1, referring to him as the creator, as the great giver of light in the form of the sun, moon, and stars. Now, if you take a moment and think of the vastness of the universe, and the more pictures that we are acquiring from these satellite uh, uh, telescopes, the more our minds are boggled at how huge the universe is and the fact that we can never even begin to comprehend it. And God created that. I believe God created it. I don't believe it just happened. I don't believe it was a bang. You know, it takes more faith to believe that than it does that God created it. If it was a bang, who set it off? And I'm, I, you know, I hadn't said it in a long time and it's ugly, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you believe it, go down here and set off an explosion at Home Depot, see if a house happens. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Besides that, none of those guys were there. They don't know either, do they? But if God is big enough to create this universe that you and I can't even comprehend, don't you think he is capable of taking care of you? And he is. He can provide what we need. And then another thing about him, he says there's no variation, no shadow of turning. He does not change, which I find comforting. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He told through Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change, Malachi 3, 6. And through John, we see God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. And through the writer of Hebrews, we're assured that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. God is changeless. Whenever you see an eclipse, we don't get to see really, I don't, I don't know that, we ever get to see a full eclipse of the sun here. We see some partial eclipses, but whatever the eclipse is, it's not the sun's fault. The sun keeps shining. But something comes, the moon comes between the earth and the sun that makes the sun covered. Well, when you and I feel like God has shut off the light to our life, it's not God. It's something else that's come between us and God. And he doesn't change. In fact, he is where the light is, and the light is approachable. When you're in a dark room and a little sliver of light, whether it's coming from under the door of the next room or, or whatever, you're drawn to that light immediately. You feel like, I'm going to that light so I can see if there's more light. Well, God is light, and he draws people to him out of this world of darkness. What is darkness? It's the absence of light. That's all it is. The absence of light is darkness. Look it up. But when light comes, you're drawn to the light. And I've got a, a phrase you need to remember. The best way to face life's changes is to look at the unchanging God. There's a lot of change going on in our life. God's still on the throne. God still loves us. In fact, we sing that song, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Listen to one of the verses of that hymn. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my world gives way, or my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. James speaks of how wonderful God is, but then in verse 18, he tells us something that is marvelous that you are a participant in. He talks about a glorious conversion. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, there is a mouthful in that one little phrase right there. There's nothing greater than your salvation. Amen? And you did not save yourself. You didn't come up with this. Man did not think of this. It says, first of all, it was his thought. It was his grace. God is the one that came after you and me. Of his own will. It was deliberate. The word will is a strong word to mean a determined, deliberate choice. God chose Despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite our awfulness, God determined he would save us. John 1, 12, and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
You talk about a good gift. Here's how the story masters of the early church would tell it. They put it this way. There was a young and carefree girl who lived with her parents at the edge of a great forest. And one day, she wandered off into the woods to explore, but she lost her way and darkness fell. In desperation, she ran screaming this way and that way till her legs just completely gave out and her throat was hoarse, and she fell exhausted and whimpering to sleep in a very small clearing in the forest. Well, meanwhile, her parents were beside themselves with anxiety. They searched the forest, calling out her name. They roused the neighbors to help them comb the woods. They even organized, organized groups from the village to, to help them find, help comb the woods. But to no avail, they couldn't find her. And by the middle of the night, most of the folks went back to their homes, but not the father. He scoured the woods looking for his daughter. He called and called for her, hoping for the best, but fearing the worst. And early in the morning, he stumbled into the clearing where she slept. He raced toward her, crying out her name, making a great noise as he fell over the branches on the ground. The little girl woke up at the sounds, and when she saw her father, she ran over to him, threw her arms around him, and said, Daddy, Daddy, I found you. I found you. Well, that's how God is. God is the one who came looking for us. And he gives us the privilege of following him. But don't you think for a moment that you just decided one day, I'm going to be saved and you found God. No, God had been looking for you. In fact, I tell you every week that the invitation for you began long before you ever walked in this room. You're not here by accident. That's how our salvation started. That's how he's the one that created Salvation. He's the one that provided it. It was his thought. But not only this, look at this in verse 18. It's he's the one that transforms us. His transformation. He brought us forth. That's the same word used in verse 15 where it says, and when desire has conceived, it gives birth, brings forth sin. To give birth to Jesus died on the cross that we might have new birth. And the scripture says that he brought us forth. Now, here's another Greek lesson for you. Now we're going to talk about aorist tense. A-O-R-I-S-T, aorist. Present tense, continuous action. Aorist tense, at a point in time. Doesn't keep happening. It's finished. So that means that Jesus, when it talks about Jesus dying on the cross, one time is all it, had, all it took to pay the price for us. But it also talks about salvation for you and me, that when we ask God to forgive us and we place our faith in Jesus Christ, at some point in your life, he brings you forth. He births you spiritually. You're born again. You can't see it. 
I've been with people who have prayed to receive Christ. I've never seen God immerse them in the righteousness of Jesus. I can't see it. And I can't see the Holy Spirit come into their life. Now, I can see the effects of it because they immediately they have peace and, and you see, begin to see the change in their life. But it says he brings you forth right then. When were you brought forth? I've been brought forth twice. I was brought forth October 30th, 1955 in the hospital to be close to my mom. Physically born. That's what it means to be, to be birthed. I don't remember the exact date. I remember it was a Thursday night at boys camp, the Beach Springs Baptist camp in smack over Arkansas. There is a place. I was birthed spiritually when Jesus saved me. And I didn't do it on my own. It wasn't because I was a preacher's kid. It wasn't anything I've done. I realized I was separated from God, and I asked God to forgive me, and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and God immediately at that point in time brought me forth. He's done the same for you. I don't know when your time was, but he brought you forth. And if you can't go to that time, now listen to me carefully, you may not remember all the details about it. But don't just assume, well, my parents had me baptized as a baby. There's no such thing. Baptism comes after you're saved. It doesn't save you. You might have been dedicated, but sprinkling a baby does not provide salvation for anybody. It doesn't. Don't take my word for it. Read the scripture. I sound like I'm being ugly. I don't mean to, but that's the truth. You are saved when you trust Jesus by faith into your life. He brings you forth. And you know what happens? Jesus doesn't give you religion. He gives you life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and life more abundantly. Man's spirit died when he messed up in the garden. And when you come to Jesus, God's spirit comes into you. You have life. And Peter says in 2 Peter 1.4, you become partakers of the divine nature. Let me keep on going. I didn't realize what time it was. Give me a couple more minutes here. You would think I'd be just so tired I couldn't go, but I'm just God. God, I just can't help it. This transformation came because of his truth. Look at verse 18. He brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. The word of truth can literally be written here by truth's word. And folks, I want to tell you something. You cannot have salvation without the word of God. Because everything we know about God came right out of here. And everything we know about salvation came right out of here. It didn't come from some edict by some man who claims to have had some kind of revelation. It came right out of God's Word. And when you talk about your own testimony, there comes a time when you realize... Somebody told me the gospel. What was the gospel? All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life and so forth. It came right out of the word of truth. In fact, listen to Romans 10, 13 and 14 and 17. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
how then shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they not hear without a preacher or a proclaimer? Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Ephesians 1.13, in whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth. Colossians 1.15, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I uh, get real irritated in case you hadn't noticed, at the number of churches today, the modern church that has taken the emphasis off of God's word and put it on feelings and emotions and feeling good. And I want you to feel good, but the only way you're going to feel good is when you know you're right with God. And the only way you're going to be right with God is through Jesus Christ. And the only way you're going to be right with Jesus Christ is to come through his word. And finally, I want you to notice some other before we go. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to land this plane. <laughs> Verse 18, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I don't have time to go look at it, but you can look in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you'll find the first fruit offerings. God commanded through Moses the people to bring, when the, when the harvest was starting, they would bring the first fruits, the best of the harvest, They'd bring it to the temple and give it to the priest as a sign that they recognized God for giving them everything else. And it was the sign that the harvest was going to come. Now, now stay with me just a few minutes. James is written to new Jewish Christians, probably with the first letter in the New Testament. You don't find the Gentile Christians yet. They're all new. This is all new to them. And James is saying, by this salvation that came from the word of truth, you are now the first fruits, a kind of first fruits of his creatures or his creation. In other words, you are a result, so am I, I'm pointing, we're a result of someone else who planted. We're the harvest of that. And now we're planting, and there's a harvest that's coming that we may or may not get to see. I can tell you after being here over 30 years, one of the hardest parts for my job right now is burying people who planted, and y'all are part of the harvest. They were first fruits of this harvest, and now we're first fruits of a harvest to come. And I want to tell you something. A person who professes to be a Christian and does not have a desire to see people saved, that's a contradiction. Because we were given the gospel, not for just ourselves, but for other people to come to know Christ. And I thank God for people before us who were the first fruits of of us as the harvest. And now we're the first fruits 
of another harvest that's going to come. There's a continuation here. And aren't you glad that someone shared with you the gospel and that you got to hear the word of truth and you got to hear the gospel and those first fruits were set apart for God. When you were saved, you were set apart for God. He didn't save you to sit. He saved you to serve. And he saved you that you might be part of a kingdom that's continuing to grow. That's why we talk about missions. And that's why we plant churches. And that's why we support missionaries. And that's why we do projects around here to see people saved. Because we want to see them come to know Christ. One little girl was on riding home with her mom and, and said, Mom, the pastor's, the preacher's sermon confused me today. And that's not uncommon. But she said, we said, honey, what, what did he say? Well, he said that God is bigger than all of us. And mom said, well, honey, that's true. But, but then he said that God lives inside of us. Well, that's true. Well, then if God lives inside of us and he's bigger than us, isn't he going to stick out? <laughs> that's exactly right. He's going to stick out. He shows wherever you go, and in a moment when you leave, no matter where you're going, he's going to show. God saved you. He gave you what you didn't deserve. And, you know, those of us who were raised in church, you know, if, if you're honest with yourself, there's some of you actually thought, well, you know, I, I probably had a few extra points than most people did in coming to salvation. I, I was probably loved a little bit more by God. I know he still saved me, but I wasn't as bad as so-and-so over here. There's none righteous, no, not one. And yet God saved us. And I've got news for you today. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. It's here. And that's tug at your heart as a Holy Spirit saying, what are you waiting for? God has done it all. All you need to do is accept it and trust him by faith. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for the patience of this congregation. But I, most of all, I thank you for the word that makes it crystal clear that Jesus is the only way to be saved. I pray for those that have been raised in religious homes, maybe other places, but I pray, Father, that they will see today that without Jesus, they have no life. They have religion. They have no salvation. They have no forgiveness. They've just got religion. And so I pray you'd open their eyes, that your spirit would speak to their heart and bring them to you. And Lord, for those of us who've been Christians a long time, we've sort of forgotten what it's like to be lost. But thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a home, a, a church where people love you and love each other. And they're not perfect, but, but Lord, it is a little bit of a taste of heaven. But I pray that today you would add to your kingdom people who need to be saved. I pray you'd add to your church that people who need to join. I pray, Father, that you would have victory in people's lives even now. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.